the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What does Easter teach us about power? And then is COVID actually over? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, happy Thursday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon. Aubrey, it's just beautiful. Can we just sit in the fact of like uh, spring finally. has sprung uh new life uh i'm even i don't think you are because yours are worse than mine there's even a twinge of happiness that i'm having allergy issues right now because it means things are coming to life again my poor my poor middle son this time of year his allergies go crazy and we like try to go for a family walk the other day and he's like i need to go home like his <laughs> eyes are swelling his nose is running so he's not happy, he's but not I, happy. I feel what you mean. The flowers are coming. The trees are blooming. Bloom. Do trees bloom? They trees do. are leafing? They know they bloom. And uh, I had a moment the other day that you will understand is one of my, like, oh, happy moments. I looked out over my sprawling backyard, <gasps> oh. and I said... I get We're to, close to needing to mow this you get bad to boy. Mow soon. You can come to my house and mow whenever, whenever you want to. Wow. You have three sons, right? Yes. In fact, we did announce. We made an announcement yesterday. Mowing now is transitioning from my oldest son to my middle son because my oldest son has a job now. So we are the 13 year old will now be the mower. And Kevin likes handing off the mowing big time. Yeah, See, he's not like you. He do, he would rather not do any yard work ever his whole I life. I love yard work. Yeah, yeah. No, he'd I rather be if, on a bike ride. Sometimes I wonder if I should have been a farmer, except for the hard work. <laughs> <laughs> I've often wondered about that about you. Should Brian Fromm have been a farmer? Like, I, I like want to be able to I want to be able to be a farmer, but not one who has to produce anything. Just one who gets to be outside. So <laughs> I like it. I we're like that glad you. that you are with us today. If you've missed any of our shows this week, go get the podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. You could also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. We've had some fun on Facebook this week, Aubrey. Sometimes we like to just get, we like to poke the bear. We do of, like to poke the bear. Of modern day evangelicalism. And so we started to uh, lighten up some of the songs, some of the more popular Christian songs. are like, yeah, can't, can't handle that song. And now it's stuck in my head. I've had all these songs stuck in my head all week. Yeah, this is this is very fun. And it's fun to hear what other people think of as their, uh, their Christian song that makes them crazy. Yep. Their cringy Christian song? Maybe yep. that's what we call it, the cringy Christian song. I'm just song. glad nobody is, uh, to this point, is offered up Friends by Michael W. Smith, because <laughs> I'll, I'll go to battle on that one. I feel like we were singing that earlier this weekend. A friend, a friend forever. That's right. At every church service where you ever wrong. said goodbye to somebody, <laughs> that played. Or high school graduation youth group. <laughs> Uh, you played Friends or Friends Forever for your friends, and then you played, who was it? Uh, was it... Uh, uh, Green Day? Bolts? Uh, Mark, Mark Bolts? No. Oh, 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 Ray you, Bolts. Ray Bolts. And, the uh, Heaven thank, Song? Thank you for giving to the... You'd sing, you'd play I that for the, the leaders. That was... Ch- wow, just that there, just came back the, to me. The leaders would be crying. Yeah. Thank but you. But isn't that like the person's in heaven? 
No, 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 that's a different song. No, no, that's a different song, I think. No, that's the same song. Well, that also works perfectly for leaders, volunteers, and that's a great manipulative way to get them to serve again. (laughs) Let me play this song while pictures of our students stream on the screen, and they're like, I will give you another year. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good strategy. We should talk about that time. Manipulative ways to get volunteers. Top five list. (laughs) Some of us have done youth ministry before. (laughs) All righty. Oh, man. Good times. Transitioning to something uh, David French wrote of New York Times about Christians and power. And he, he talks about Barabbas. So what do we know about Barabbas in the Easter story, right? He wasn't just a robber. He was the one that they they basically could choose Jesus or Barabbas. And the people choose yeah, to let he, Barabbas, Barabbas go. Barabbas was an actual criminal and Jesus wasn't. He wasn't just a criminal. They, you've often heard that he was, it's better um, translated, he was a terrorist. And now... Post January 6th, even David French here likes to use the word insurrectionist. Oh, a lot of uh, yeah. political violence. Like that's more of who Barabbas was. He wasn't like, you know, stealing stuff or doing. He was a terrorist. He was an insurrectionist, and they choose that. David French is going to talk about Barabbas in this story. Uh, in this article, uh, he says Easter rebukes the Christian will to power. And let me just read. What do we always do when we really want to sum these articles up? We read the last paragraph. (laughs) Let me read to you the last paragraph, and you tell me what you think of this. Christ did not reject earthly rule so that his flawed followers could seize the world's thrones. Mm. His ethos was clear. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And French ends it this way. This Easter, it is as servants, not rulers, that Christians should resolve to love this land. Wow. How does Easter help us uh, frame this idea of power? Uh, I'm not sure we're doing this very well mm. right now. So Easter can mm. maybe serve as a wake-up call. What do you think about what he wrote here? So what, uh, I do want to talk about how Easter makes us think about power, but I think it's fascinating just again to talk about how David French called it the spirit of Barabbas tempting Christians today. Fascinating. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, in many ways, we think about Jesus's triumphal entry, which was a humble entry for a king. Right. And then we think about Jesus's uh, washing the disciples feet, saying, like, this is what you ought to do for one another, serve one another. And then, of course, like Jesus's most humiliating act, bearing the scorn and the shame of the cross for us. All of that was Jesus who actually had all like uh, Philippians two, all authority was given to him. He actually had all power and mm-hmm. authority mm-hmm. and yet willfully chose to give it all up for us. Now, of course, we know the end of the story is Jesus is on the throne, in power, in control, etc. And yet Jesus's life on earth was just consistently modeling servanthood and not choosing toxic power, not choosing toxic power, like rebuking it, giving it up, walking away from it. And it's fascinating to me the times when people wanted to to give Jesus uh, power or worship or praise or like spread words about him. And he would say, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Like Jesus just continually shirked what the rest of us want, you know, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is like our own way, our own right, our own attention, our own selfish desires. 
And we just absolutely never see that in Jesus. We're never taught that in Jesus. It is condemned in Jesus. And so it's interesting to me, and I'm guilty of this. So I'm saying this as one who is like looking at the plank in my own eye. I am not. Okay. Well, I am. (laughs) (laughs) That we, um, especially as American Christians, kind of take our rights and our privileges and our way and our perspective and our opinion as the thing that matters above all else. And it's weird to me that Christians can hold that as the same time as they hold this power. Yeah. And this, the idea of us wanting power mm-hmm. and that's a lot you know we got these quote-unquote culture wars that seem to be ramping up you and i talk about them on yep. the show all the time that it could become easy to go we've got to get all the power we can for reason x y or z but it does become hard and easter teaches us this that what got jesus killed for many different reasons but one of them is people thought he was going to come and he was going to make things right, right and that's not why he right. came right Uh, And so this idea that we are called, even in a culture that's a bit crazy, we're called to be servants. We're called to be uh, watch out for the least of all of these things. Man, the countercultural nature of this might be greater now than it's ever been. It's at least ramping up. And I think French gives us as we move away from Easter going, okay, now what? Mm -hmm. Now, how do we live our lives? Servants, loving mm-hmm. our neighbors, uh, and and proclaiming Jesus. I, it's hard. It, this is not an easy call, right? It's easy to write about. It's easy to preach about. Yeah. It's definitely difficult to live out. Wow. All right, coming up next, I want to talk parenting off of a tweet I saw earlier. Uh, Ari, we're gonna. I'm gonna ask you to to solve parenting issues. Oh, you I, are going I, to. I've got it. I've nailed it. You are going to do this for us next year on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's beautiful outside, and I was just successful with something, Aubrey. People may not know about Usually when we go right <laughs> under the air, I try to make you laugh as we're starting. Yeah, you do. Very bad for the show. Very good for just my for your joy. your own entertainment, right? <laughs> so I, I did get you. You did. Uh, people can listen closely for, uh, for trying to hear Aubrey giggling <laughs> as we start. That usually means that I have been successful. Can we successful. tell them how e- what an easy laugh I am? Because so this is easy. what... Can I tell the people what you did? <laughs> so when we... St- when we start the show, sometimes Brian will say three, two, one, or I'll say go. three, two, one, and we'll start. This time, all Brian did was go five, four, three, and, I <laughs> and you lost it. Just got me laughing. So it is easy. Well, pulling the curtain back on the magic of the common good it for you. It is easy. It's why I tell you dad jokes because I know you'll laugh. Man, uh, man, because usually with the dad jokes, I just have to go Aubrey. I know it's just the way. It's just you're your done. delivery. I mean, it doesn't even matter what you say. All right, remind the people out there the age of your three boys. Yeah. Yes, my oldest is 16, almost 17, which I can't even handle. Two summers left until he ideally goes to college or whatever God has next for him. Um, Then I have a 13-year-old who will be 14 this summer and an 11-year-old. All right, so you're almost to all teenagers, a little bit of time. I have a 19-year-old. She is at college and a 15-year-old freshman in high school and a 13-year-old who will be going to high school school next year. So I do have all teenagers, but here's the question. I think a lot of parents out there are wrestling with young kids, older kids. Uh, It feels like we're constantly 
fighting the um, the the current of culture. Mm, uh, you yes, and I have talked a lot true. about sexuality issues, yeah. transgender issue, all this stuff. Yep. Uh, not to mention the things that we probably struggled with as kids. It's, it feels like those of us who are wanting to raise our kids as Christians. Mm-hmm. Really, a minefield out there right it now. It is a minefield out there, and a minefield out there, minefield and a minefield out there. <laughs> um, and no, and I think people who say it's not like just wait until your kids are in public high school and yep. the things that they come home and accuse you of or talk to you about while you're trying to tell them about Jesus. It's no joke. And my kids are faithful churchgoers. They love their church community. I pray that they love Jesus, but. Definitely, there's some generational differences we're already seeing, even impacting our fifth grader when it comes to some yep. of these controversial topics. My oldest so, yep, daughter is real. in college right now at Hope College, great Christian school. Her faith is flirt. Like, all, we couldn't yeah. be more thrilled about what's going on. I went and picked her up the other day and brought her home for Easter, and we had an awesome conversation multiple conversations in the car. What I love about having my daughter at college is when I go get her, she will be very talkative on the way. Home. She's That's got all so, this stuff oh, she's learning, all this stuff love she's it. processing, all this stuff. And she's killing it. She's doing awesome. But we talked about a lot of these cultural issues and I love the way she's processing, but it's also just different. We're, there's yeah. a generational gap that yep. is something right now. Yep. And, uh, with that in mind, there's a guy, I don't even know why I follow him on Twitter, except that I think we had him on the show a long time ago, okay. before you were on the show. His name's Chad Ragsdale. Okay. Uh, he's a professor. He wrote this on Twitter, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. He wrote, a lot of evangelical parents are at risk of losing their kids to the culture because they're either too nice or too mean. Hmm. They either have no contrarian positions on anything Hmm. that matters, or they want to aggressively fight over every issue. Hmm. Both positions are weak and toxic. Interesting. Unpack that a little bit, what you're hearing there, and let's then get to, do we agree and how do we play this out? Yeah, I mean, I... Yeah. Okay. I need to think about this for a minute. I'm going to read it again and process it as I read it. A lot of evangelical parents are at risk of losing their kids to the culture because they are either too nice or too mean. And then here's what he goes on to say about this. So you're too nice, meaning you have no contrarian positions on anything that matters. So you agree with everything in culture. Or we're not going to talk about it. Or we're just not going to talk about it. Okay. Or you're too mean, meaning you want to aggressively fight over everything. So it's kind of like a culture acceptance attitude and a culture war attitude yep, yep. in the home. And the idea that Chad Ragsdale is saying is that you will lose your kids to the culture if you do that. Because yep. if you're that, I mean, we've seen this, right? Sort of anecdotally anyway, parents who either shelter their kids or who mm-hmm. fight so hard against culture, those kids tend to rebel. Yep deconstruct, Let leave faith, etc. Let me ask you this question. Yeah. Do you agree with his premise? I don't know. That we're at risk of, uh, that if you go the wrong direction, you're at risk of losing your kid to the culture. I, I don't know if I do, because I just as I was saying, we've seen this ana- anecdotally. We've also seen the other anecdotally. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I am, again, my kids are not grown. I am hes- up there. No, your kids are right in okay. the in the middle of it right I'm now. I'm hesitant to think that you're going to lose your kids to the culture. P- 
period. Like, I just don't know if that's necessarily the way we frame forming mm-hmm. our kids, right? Mm-hmm. Our kids are in culture, period. Like, they are not going to get away from it. We all swim in culture. Some are in different subcultures than others. Is it, it is what it is. I think this idea of even being motivated by fear of losing our kids to culture is not the place to start. Okay. The place to start is... Are we forming our kids towards Christ likeness? And that means in conversations about culture, posture towards friends, posture towards neighbors who think differently than us, postures towards the way we're thinking about certain controversial topics. But I just don't think this like at risk of losing kids to culture should be even a fear. I don't mm. I don't think it's the right motivation. Maybe yeah. maybe that's I think a lot of parents feel this way though. I think the struggle on this about the the struggle of just the premise of losing your kids to culture is uh and he may not be saying this but it's not a, a 1 plus 1 equals 2. Yeah. If I do everything right my kid won't be deconstructing and lost to culture. If I do everything wrong, my kid may not stay a faithful believer. You and I have talked on air and off air of some of the parents that we have the greatest respect for, whose kids are completely off the reservation. They did everything right. Totally. And there are some of the most impressive young adults I know who grew up in toxic stuff. Now, whether we believe this or not, I do think what he says is important here in terms of strategy of parenting. If you think in our home we're not going to talk about any of this, then your kid is going to form their worldview outside of your yeah, home. Yeah, somebody's going to form them. It should so be you. It yeah. shouldn't be. In our home, we don't talk about issue X. Yeah. In our home, you never disagree with dad. Right. In our home, no, that's not going to work. Yeah. At the same time, if you're like, I'm going to tell you everything you must believe and mm-hmm. every little thing you say, I'm going to, uh, you know, just I'm going to tell you, right, 16 year old son, yeah, what you have to believe and what you have to think. I don't think that's going to end well either. There's got to be we as parents need to figure out from a young age how to process yeah. how to have a, 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 a relationship where they're willing to talk about these yep. things. But then also, like he says, we're willing to go, hey, guys, let me tell you about what the Bible says. Yeah. Let me tell you about where Here's they're wrong. Here's a different wrong. way to think about it. Let me tell you it. about where, mm-hmm. where what you're hearing mm-hmm. doesn't actually hold up, mm-hmm. even though they're telling you this is the truth. Like, there has to be, I think he's right about what our houses should be like, Yeah. even if you disagree with whether we're actually going to, quote unquote, lose our kids to the culture. Yeah, and I do think you're so right, Brian, like, to have a space, because there were, I, I can remember two specific times over two controversial topics growing up in my house. One, my dad opened the door to the conversation and actually he changed my mind like I was Mm. like oh I had not considered that from a biblical point of view this was as a teenager I was hearing it from my kids my friends and I was like oh my dad is right here there was another that my parents said we will not talk about it this is what you think Mm -hmm. done and done and I remember being like but wait well and I was even a little older at that point like but I need I have questions I want to talk this out and they just wouldn't and so I formed my own opinion about it which believe it or not is now different than theirs So it is, again, it's never a one-to-one correlation, but to have a house that is open around questions and allow your kids to explore while remembering you are the main discipler and the parent. And so you do get to guide them to consider, well, here's what scripture says. Here's as Christians, what we believe. Here's what Jesus says. 
I think that right there is the dream yeah, and right. the goal. That's right. And so, uh, I would encourage people to think to themselves, how can I grow this in my own home where we can, and here's one more thing as a parent, sometimes the best thing you can say is, hey, I've got no idea. <laughs> totally. Like, you don't have to have every Bible answer right. as to like, right. if your kid is like, what were the Nephilim? I don't know. <laughs> Let's, we can look it up together. You want to Google it with me? Let's yeah, have some fun. I love that. Uh, I think especially teenagers, they appreciate you going, yeah, that's a really hard one. Uh, one of my kids the other day was like, where did Jesus go between Friday and Sunday and Easter? <laughs> well, let me t- I, I told them, here's some thoughts on this. Yeah. But yeah I'm not going to be like, I shall give you the exact right answer mm-hmm. to this. So anyway, I find that to be an interesting tweet uh, about how do we kind of posture? What's our posture as parents? Coming up next, Aubrey, is COVID over? I'm going to give you one thing that happened earlier this week that might be a sign that it is, but then I got to tell you a story about a school in upstate New York. Ooh, okay. Can want to get your response. Going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Do you think about COVID much anymore? Um, Three years ago today, what's all any of us thought about? Yeah, I know. I mean, every once in a while, like if I get sick or a kid gets sick or some, I'm like, is it COVID? Like that still kind of crosses my mind. But generally, not definitely not like two years ago. Three years ago. Three years ago. Or two years ago, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not. I bring this up because I I saw this uh, come across at NBC News the other day. And I was surprised because I still didn't even know this was going on. President Biden signs bill ending COVID national emergency. Wow. The measure ends the national emergency a month earlier than had planned, prompting changes to some pandemic-related federal programs. So it starts to have stuff about programs and this and that. But here's the thing. Uh, this was signed into law in March of 2020, and has still been the law, coronavirus national emergency that was first declared in March of 2020. Huh. Uh, Biden had signaled his opposition to ending the national emergency, but said he won't veto the legislation, which came out of the Republican Congress. So it does have a lot more to do with uh, programs and this okay, and that. But gotcha. were you aware that we were still under a national emergency? Um. No, I wasn't. I because again, I wasn't really mindful of it. So no. This is wild to me, but it makes sense. I mean, here we are. It's now time you know, three years later, it's now time to end it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It, it's, I just didn't know that it still existed. <laughs> I do believe the state of Illinois, our governor might keep signing these. And so uh, I think we still might be under some state stuff, but a national emergency to COVID. But then I read this story. A school that couldn't quit COVID. A school in upstate New York has imposed some of the most extreme measures during the pandemic, including silent lunches and outdoor masking. Are you ready for this? Yeah. The rules are still in effect. No. Let me just read you the first paragraph. The Elizabeth Ann Clune Montessori School of Ithaca set amid uh, rolling fields upon and dandelion strippled, stippled meadows. Wow. Is just a few minutes ride from Ithaca College and Cornell University. Serving more than 220 students from preschool through eighth grade, the school features classrooms bathed in natural light, populated with the offspring of professors, doctors, 
doctors and lawyers. Offspring. <laughs> All right, so this sounds like an idyllic place yeah, to be, right? Yeah, it does. It's lovely. Since the fall of 2020 through today, those children must be masked during class and on the playground and have been barred what? from speaking during class. This is crazy. Like every other school in the country, this private school, which could cost up to $18,000 a year, depending on the student's age, closed to in-person do, uh, stuff, but then when they reopened with a list of mitigations. Some were typical, yeah. distancing and indoor yeah. masking, but others, at least for a while, were less common and not even recommended by health authorities, specifically outdoor masking and a ban on ski- speaking during lunch. What? Aubrey, it's still happening. I. This is crazy. I would pull my kids out of the school right? immediately, Like, especially if you're paying that much money. like This feels like draconian like this is very strange to me especially because they're no I, I understand when things were mandated that the schools ought to do this and i know not everyone even agreed with that i did but now that like they're doing things that the public health authorities aren't even telling them to do why i think yeah. that's my question why this cannot be good for the children is this some this clearly is something that those in power on the board or these parents want to happen. But again, well, a lot of parents are starting why, to push why, back. Why? Oh, they are. Okay. Well, the issue was this is bizarre. One of the head guys said, we've had a lot of success with not having any transmission in this step. But then a guy from the medical world was like, you can't know that. Like, yeah. you can't know that. So I want to ask the bigger question because a lot of us have really moved on from COVID. Right, right. I would say rightfully so. Absolutely. You can't live the way we were, right. but they are. And it's weird that it's professors, doctors, and lawyers. Like, it also says Kind of something. like the, the intelligentsia and the money people. Right? Yeah, interesting. Right? And you have seen that as the places that have been most um, stringent on COVID. What do you think is actually going on here? What, trying, how do you process I'm this? I'm trying to figure this out because I, if, if this was a vulnerable population, Mm-mm. I actually would be like... I get it. I I, I will in my mind with as much authority as I have. I will allow the vulnerable people to do whatever they want to do. Like I'm not going to argue with that. But these are people who have some power, who have some wealth, who have uh, opportunity and experience. So the only thing I can think of is that it's fear. And that perhaps it's no longer even about COVID, but about other illnesses. We don't want our kids to get the flu. We don't want our kids to get strep. We don't want our kids to get, I don't know, other illnesses, viruses, colds, etc. And therefore, we've decided like this is a better benefit to all. Like we're protecting each other from other illnesses. But it feels like fear and it feels like just an unnecessary amount of restriction. Yes. I don't I don't know what's under it beyond that, Brian. I don't either. And here's what I want to ask you. So I understand there are people who will always be for underlying medical reasons. Maybe their doctor has told them, hey, yeah, always wear right, a mask right. or this that. I don't know if you've got people like this in your life though, whether church or school or wherever. There are people now who have who are not in I want to speak about the people who are not in any sort of danger class. Okay. Danger class? That yeah. was kind of a cool way of putting it. That's a cool band name, by the way. Who you're seeing at Lollapalooza. Danger class. Danger class. 
but who are still masking, who mm-hmm. are still mm-hmm. social distancing, who mm-hmm. still aren't going to church on Sunday morning mm-hmm. in person, who still are very hesitant to go back to the office. If you had a friend who was or somebody in your church who that was their description, what would you say to them? Because you want to be caring. Yeah. So, again, this isn't an older person who's got, you know, all sorts of underlying conditions or whatever. But this is just a person who's like, I can't get back to life. Yeah. I. So this is the other category I want to I want to mention is I have had like minority friends say we put masks on our kids because I don't want my child blamed for like infecting the majority kid. And then our family gets ostracized. So that's another category, I would say. So we're, we're moving outside of all of these categories. I would probably say, hey, I, I think it's time for you to, like, do the research you need to do to see that the country is Biden signed the end to the emergency act. Doctors are saying what they're saying. It's actually probably more beneficial at this point for you to give your child a chance to socialize without the mask. Look at some of the damage. Or socialize that this in is general. Or yes. socialize in general. Talk at lunch. That kind of thing. And really would probably encourage this person to take steps of courage and and honestly, probably to go see a therapist and talk through what the mm-hmm. fear is about. Because mm-hmm. it feels like to me this is kind of a strange stronghold of fear that isn't actually rational like we're not we're not reading any research that backs up the benefit of this Mm -hmm. and so if you can't even have logical research there's something going on with your emotions and this communal stance probably it's time to talk to a therapist and take some steps of courage yeah yeah i I don't i mean this is wild to me you mentioned before like people going who gave i don't even think it i've not even thought or heard other people be like who gave my kid COVID? Right, or who, right. I, I don't even know people. Most people I know aren't even testing anymore. You yeah, just go. Yeah. So when I read stories like this, it's just it's crazy. Not. I think it's cruel for the kids too. Like I have 100%. seen, you know, and I, I have seen the damage of some kids who were isolated longer than they should have been, and it was terrible. Mm-hmm. And so to think about this for these kids, it, it's getting to the point where it's like, this is, you're not hurting the kids you're intending yeah. to help. Yeah. yeah. So wow. uh, happy no more national COVID emergency. We made it for three and a half years or three years. We, we did it. And we'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.